Good morning, everyone. One more time. Um, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus, chapter 20. While you are turning there, a couple of quick announcements. Um, s- starting next week, our spring growth groups are going to get up off the ground. Um, different groups will be starting at uh, different times. If you are in the, if you historically have been in the Sunday morning one, that's when uh, they're starting. Uh, starting next Sunday, you, uh, you should be notified about that sometime this week. Um, additionally, out in the foyer, there are cards for the homebounds in our church. If you um, w- would, I, I just want to ask you, after the service, you will just stop by the, those tables out in the foyer and fill them, fill them out, write a quick note to bless those uh, people in our church who longtime members, they just uh, are, are too ill to be able to be here this morning. And then finally, I, I want to um, encourage you um, a couple of opportunities to pray with us as a church every every Wednesday night here at the church from 7 to 77 to 730 we uh, gather together for a time of sharing and fellowship and prayer and so if you are feeling uh, disconnected or you're feeling like you need more fellowship or you're just you, you feel like you need someone to share with that is a perfect time to come and to um, connect with other believers in this family and then um, in your bulletin, it says next week. It, that's a little bit of a typo. It should be two weeks from today. We are going to have a, a prayer meeting directly following the church. And so I'm just going to ask if uh, you care about this church, if you love this church, or if this is your church home, we're going to ask that you stick around after uh, church with us two weeks from today, not next week, to worship with us. So that's two weeks from today. We'll be praying after the church. I was um, I was talking with a uh, He's kind of a pastor to pastors this week, and um, he's giving me some advice about a couple different things. And he uh, uh, he said, "Tell me how your church prays." And he said, "I really believe there's no such thing as a healthy church that doesn't pray." And so, um, if if you love this church, we're going to ask that you stick around after service in a couple weeks to pray with us. So, well, Exodus chapter twenty, Exodus chapter twenty is a church we have for the last couple months been walking through the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus is all about how God um, brings people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So he does that by raising up a leader named Moses. And uh, Moses, um, by God's power, brings ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And then the Egyptians um, uh, let them go. And so Israel comes to the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground. And the Bible says that God uh, actually bore them on eagles' wings to himself. So God carries the uh, Israelites out of their slavery to himself. And and, uh, at Mount Sinai, God gives them the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. Now, we have really said that there are uh, two big commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And the first four commandments... Um, all go into that first commandment. So the first four commandments are all part of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so let's see how good your memories are. Who remembers what the first commandment was? Love, the, love your God above all other gods. Um, second commandment, anyone remember? No idols, good. And then third, third commandment, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And fourth commandment, whoever says it gets a prize. Ah, uh, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. We got a prize for you, Donna. It's, I'm going to set it right here for after the service for you. So um, that is the first 
four uh, commandments, and those really are all about teaching us how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We said last week that the Sabbath commandment is kind of where the, these two commandments meet each other. So the Sabbath is that point in the graph where we learn how to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and where we learn to love the neighbors yourself. We can't celebrate, uh, we can't love God properly or love each other properly without celebrating the Sabbath, without gathering with God's people to worship Him. And so all of these commandments build on one another. You, you can't, you, this, this commandment that we're going to talk about today, honoring your parents, you can't keep that without keeping the Sabbath. You, you can't keep the, the next series of commandments without keeping the Sabbath. That All of these commandments, you can't keep the Sabbath without not taking the Lord's name of your Lord your God in vain. And you can't do that without not making idols. And you can't do that without putting God first. And so all of these things, they build on one another as uh, they teach us how to follow Jesus properly. Now, um, we have said, as we've been walking through the Ten Commandments, that there are really three uses, three relationships that we have with the law. So the law is an acquaintance. And what that means is that the law tells us something that is true about all people everywhere. The law is an enemy, and what that means is just that the law shows me my shortcomings. It shows me my failures. It's like a Fitbit. It shows me I'm not as healthy as I think I am. And third, the law is a friend, because after the law has pointed me to Jesus, um, the law teaches me what it looks like to follow him. And so this is why God gives us the law, so that we might um, come to him and be formed into the image of his son. And all that being said, we come now to the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, it says this, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A couple of laws that are kind of commentaries, expansions on this, Exodus 21, 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Exodus 21, 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Exodus 23, 19, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's uh, milk. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, God restates the Ten Commandments um, almost verbatim, but he expands on some of them. And so he says uh, this in Exodus chapter 5, or Deuteronomy chapter 5, sorry, he says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you today. We come before your word. Uh, we come knowing that um, you are our true Father, our heavenly Father. And so, Father, we, we want to learn what it looks like to honor you by honoring our earthly fathers and our earthly mothers. God, would you teach us how to do that this morning? God, would you give me the, the right uh, words to say that um, I, I would communicate truth to your people, that you would feed your people with your word? We do pray all these things in the name of your Son, by your Spirit. Amen. Well, in 1993, 1993 um, the government issued a report to um, lawmakers about, how to, uh, about different policies and different instructions for policies uh, to make as far as sentencing guidelines and stuff for, um, for uh, minors. Uh, people under 18. And in this document, if any of you are interested in this, email me this week and I'll send it to you. In this document, um, uh, among other things, there was included quite a bit of information about 
um, parents, um, uh, church-going parents, and the effect that that has on children. And what they found is actually that raising children in the church has demonstrable effects on the children. So here are some of the benefits of uh, parents who are religious and committed to the church, some of the benefits that this has on religious children. Uh, Children who are raised in the church have a higher likelihood that they will grow up with a a set standard of morality, that they will learn how to uh, understand and, and comprehend what is right and what is wrong. Uh, children who are raised in the church, who, who the church influences these children, um, they will grow up to be more empathetic. So they'll grow up to be kinder and they'll grow up to be more sympathetic, to understand other people's point of view. Uh, children uh, of church-going parents, parents who go to church regularly, not once every couple of months, but regularly, um, they're less likely to get involved with drugs. Children who are raised in the church by their parents, their parents are believers, and they bring them to church, and they raise them there. They are less likely to commit violent crimes. They're less likely to commit delinquency, to be delinquents, and they're less likely to end up in prison. That all of these things come when godly parents raise up their children the way that the Scriptures command, that, that, that there's all these benefits that happen for society when parents raise their children up with God's people to love, know, and worship the one true God. And that was a government report that said that. But we could have said everything that that government report just said there just by looking at the Bible, because we already know those things. Those things are already clearly stated in Scripture, thousands of years ago, that, that the Scriptures actually communicate to us ways that are good for our children to raise our children up and ways that are good for the, for the parents to raise them up. And that's what this commandment is all about. It's all about having a healthy relationship between the parents and the children. Some people read this and they think it's just about the children. No, there is some stuff in here for parents as well. So um, let, let's walk through this commandment and just see what this commandment says. You'll notice that that first word in the commandment is honor. The first word is honor. Now, um, uh, that is kind of an archaic word for many of us. We don't use the word honor every day. Um, but the word that's being translated there is actually the same word for glory, for glory. So when we say glorify God, it, it's actually the same word, not that you should glorify your parents in the same way. Um, it, it's a lesser glory, but it, 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 there, there's something about it. So um, if you understand the word glory in the Old Testament to mean weightiness or, or heaviness or heftiness, um, all that it means is, is you want to think about it like a spiritual center of gravity. So the word glory, it just means that things are orbiting around it. It's important. It, it, it has a high priority. Um, this word honor implies that that's the relationship that we should, that's how we should think about our parents, that, they, that there's something significant about them. This is more, but not less, than to say, obey your parents. This means to consider your parents. They, they should have a, a high place in your esteem and, and that they should occupy an important place in your life. Notice it says, honor your father and your mother. It doesn't say honor your father or your mother. 
It does not say honor your father when it's convenient and honor your mother when it's convenient. No, but the, the father and the mother are to make a team to parent the child. The, the, the parental team raises up the children in a way that, that is pleasing to the Lord. The parents should not use their children as proxies in fighting a cold war and playing favorites like Jacob and Rebekah in the Old Testament, or Isaac and Rebekah, sorry, but that children should uh, honor their parents as a team and parents should parent as a team. Notice it says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, that phrase, that your days may be long, is um, probably more has to do with the quality of life than the quantity of life, right? So there are plenty of children who keep this commandment who, whose lives are not very long. So it, we shouldn't look, uh, so we should understand that, that, that it's talking about the quality of our lives, that God has given each one of us a life to live with very definite limits, Right? God has given each one of us a time span, and we will get more out of that life if we keep this commandment than if we don't. If we ignore this commandment, we'll get less out of this. If we keep this commandment, then we will get the most out of our lives. Now, as I said just a minute ago, um, this is not just for the children. There's also some implications for parents, There's also some implications for parents. So it's not just the children's job to keep this. There's also some important implications for parents. Uh, For parents to keep this law uh, doesn't mean that you should uh, command obedience with threats of violence. It doesn't mean that you should necessarily pass on your favorite hobby to your child. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should pass on your favorite pastime, your favorite uh, habits, your favorite pursuits, your, uh, the things that you like, your sports teams. Your, all of those can be good things to do. But the most important thing that this commandment implies is that we pass on the faith to the next generation. M- more important in God's eyes than anything else when it comes to parenthood is are we passing on the faith, the, the ways of the Lord, to the next generation? That, that's what this commandment is all about. And, and we see this, for example, in the book of Psalms, chapter 78, verse 4, says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. The most important thing, according to the scriptures about parenting, is that we pass on to our children the faith that we give to them, the faith of the next generation. Now, and this implies that we can't do this alone, that God has given to the parents to help them parent their children the community of faith, that the church is there to help parents raise up children in the way of the Lord, so that everybody not just parents, uh, comes alongside the family to help the family be healthy. This is why we, we say you can't keep this if you're not keeping the Sabbath, because keeping the Sabbath implies being in church. And so you can't do this well if you're not keeping the Sabbath. So let me give you a couple of examples. Um, in the Old Testament book of Esther, um, Esther was a, a Jewish exile in Persia, 
And um, she, uh, her parents died at a young age. And they had an elderly uh, relative named Mordecai who, uh, who raised Esther up as if she was his own child. Well, probably the connection that Mordecai had to Esther was not just his bloodline, it was also that they were part of the same synagogue, part of the same gathering. So, so we see here that, that someone else from outside the, the family, uh, the biological family, the direct biological family, in the family of faith is helping to raise this child up. We have another example in the book of Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, you know it's kind of a depressing book. I love it. <laughs> the, the book of Job is all about a, a man who goes through intense suffering. He loses everything that he cares about, everything that he loves. And, um, and his friends come to him and say, the reason that you're suffering is because you're clearly just a no-good, rotten sinner. That's, that's what's wrong with you. And Job, most of the book, spends his time justifying himself and vindicating himself before his friends. And one of the things that Job uses to justify himself before his friends, one of the things that, God, uh, that Job says to prove that he is righteous is, I have cared for the widow and the orphan. Now, Job was a good father. We, we know that he was a godly man who raised his children well. But he also understood that his responsibility was not just to his own children, but to other children. See, that's part of what the, the, the importance of this commandment is for. It's not just for the parents, although certainly it's for the parents, but it's also for the broader community of faith, that the whole family of faith helps to build this family up and helps to raise the their children in the way of the Lord. That's what this is all about, is that the whole family comes alongside the parents and helps them. This is why we're saying it's not enough to say the kid comes every six months to church or even once a month, but the, the kids need to be so involved in the church, so involved with the Lord that they actually start to act like it. It actually starts to change them. It actually starts to, to uh, motivate them. If you've ever had friends who started hanging out with, uh, if you've ever had children or, or friends who's just started hanging out with bad influence, you can always kind of tell, right, when that kid just gets around friends who are just, uh, we should probably, I was, I don't think I was that kid. Maybe I was that kid when I was growing up. The parents were like, ah, oh, don't let them hang out with them. But um, uh, think about it the other way around. Think about it. And you want your kids to be so involved in the church that they kind of, it starts to change them. Now, now, this is not talking about, by the way, programs, right? This is not talking about just give another program. Just No, this is talking about relationship and putting them into relationship with other godly people in their lives. And so that not only are the parents uh, parenting them, but the rest of the faith community is discipling the children and helping them grow up in the way of the Lord. That's what this commandment is, is getting at. Now, one more thing that's very important about this commandment. One more thing that's very important about this commandment is that the, the, the most important thing to remember is that it, it is only as good as it mirrors God the Father. If parents and children uh, in their relationship stop mirroring the relationship between God and man, the relationship breaks down. That our earthly fathers are, are good, and I had a wonderful earthly father. I still do. He's, he's a great guy. But he is not as good to me as God is. 
This is what the book of Matthew chapter uh, 10 says. It says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That the, the point of this is to raise the children up so that they fear and love and worship the one true God. So, so you want them to own their faith. You want them to get to the place where they can own their own faith and where they can uh, have their own relationship with God. That, that's what the point of parenting children is, is, to raise up disciples. That's what this is all uh, about. That, that's how we keep the fifth commandment. Now, there are two big ways that we can break the fifth commandment. Two big ways that we can break this commandment. And the first one comes just by neglecting it altogether. So by, by just not worrying about it, just feeling like it doesn't matter altogether. And so this can happen from the children's end. Um, we see this in the book of Proverbs. And if you're a parent, you're going to want to write down this verse reference because it's going to make a really great point in an argument. But <laughs> this is what the book of Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17 says. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. That's just a good one for you parents to memorize. Just have it in your back pocket, right? Uh, so when a child neglects the... the, the see, I, I've given you guys tools to use, right? When a child neglects this relationship with their parents... They bring the curse down on themselves. They bring the curse down on themselves. But this can also happen from the other way, right? Where parents don't hold up their responsibility to parent their children. So a, a great example for this comes from the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, there was a, a man named Eli, and Eli was a priest and a judge. And Eli had a, um, two kids. And uh, these kids were, um, uh, they were in the family business. They were also priests, but they were not godly men. And they would take bribes from people, and they would actually uh, go and fornicate in the tabernacle. And Eli, the people begged Eli, just do something about this. And Eli just wouldn't discipline his children. He knew what they were doing. He, wanted, he would not uh, fulfill his obligation to God and to them. And so God cuts Eli's family off because Eli neglected this responsibility. He didn't keep the fifth commandment. So to neglect this responsibility, to neglect this responsibility is to bring the curse on. But this can also be broken. This relation, this commandment can also be broken when the, the child-parent relationship um, becomes more important than the relationship between God and man. So where, where the, the parents are uh, putting themselves above the, the relationship that God has. So one example, we, this happens once again, both from the children and the parents' point of view. One example comes from Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, says this, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So what was happening there? Is it, uh, this man was probably, um, his father was probably still alive. 
And so he probably was, had a couple years left, and, and Jesus comes to this man and says, follow me. This man says, I, I just let me go and wait till it's, it's time to put my dad on the ground, and then I will come and follow you. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Is it wrong to, is it wrong to honor our parents? Is it wrong to take care of them in their old age? No. It's actually a good and godly thing to do. What Jesus is doing is he's pointing out that for this man, his relationship with his father on earth is more important than his relationship with his father in heaven. That's what this is all about, that the relationship with God ought to be prior to the relationship with the parents. And this man has placed his earthly father above his heavenly father. But this can also happen with the children, or with the parents. The parents can do the same thing, where they, they place this obligation that they have to their children higher than their obligation to God. So a great example for this comes from the book of Judges. Um, Judges is a great, a great uh, book, by the way. And in the book of Judges, there's a man named Samson. If you know anything about the story of Samson, his birth is kind of miraculous, and he uh, is, uh, he's like Superman. He has superhuman strength that God has blessed him with, and he's kind of the apple of his parents' eye. And in that culture, the parents would, would help find a spouse for the, the child, and so the, the Samson's time comes for him to get married, and so um, uh, his parents say, so who do you want to marry? And Samson says, I know who I want to marry. Go down to Philistia. Go down to Philistia. And find one of the, there's this woman right there in this city called Timna, and I want her for my wife. And his parents say, you can't, she's a Philistine, she's not a believer, she doesn't worship the one true God, you can't marry her. And Samson insisted. And his parents became complicit in his sin. That's what happens when the relationship with the parents to the child becomes prior to the relationship uh, to their obligation to God. Another example comes from the book of Genesis. Another example comes from the book of Genesis. There was this uh, man named Isaac and Rebekah. And uh, they they had these two sons, and each each parent picked out a favorite, Esau and Jacob, right? And uh, they each used their children to get the upper hand over the other child, and over each other. And so they would play favorites with their two children to try to um, validate themselves and prove themselves more important. And these two children ended up in a blood feud. And even though there was a measure of reconciliation, if you read Genesis closely, you you see that uh, they, they never had full forgiveness. You see, when parents place their relationship to their children higher than their relationship with God, it breeds dysfunction. And it breeds destruction. Now, I tell people this all the time. There's no such thing as a non-dysfunctional family. Every family has a little bit of dysfunction in it. And what I mean by that is, if you are feeling the weight of this commandment today, if you are here and you are feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm just seeing all the ways that I haven't kept the fifth commandment, you need to know that you're not alone. Now, I don't think there's, I mean, maybe you want to raise your hand and teach the rest of us, but I don't think there's anybody here who has kept this commandment perfectly, either from the child's point of view or from the parent's point of view. 
that we've all broken this. We've all let down our obligation to God first. But here's what you need to know. That God loves to redeem broken families. God loves to redeem broken families. And so if you are here and you are feeling the weight of this and you're just feeling like, oh my goodness, I just feel like such a failure and I feel like I just haven't done this right, God loves to redeem broken families. There are three ways in the Bible where God redeems the family, at least three. There's more, I think, but I'll just use these three. The the first way that God redeems families is that Jesus entered into a human family. Have you ever thought about that? That that Jesus Christ, the, the son upon whom all other sons are based, the son who created the human family, entered into the family and called his own creation mom and dad. There's this great story from early in Jesus' life in the book of Luke, the book of Luke, where Jesus' parents have brought him up to Jerusalem to worship as they would. And so they go up to Jerusalem to worship, and uh, the parents are headed home, headed back uh, to Nazareth, and uh, they, they're traveling in a pack, and so they think that all of the, they think that Jesus is with some relatives in the back. If you're, if you're a parent, you get it, right? I can't count how many times I got lost when I was a kid. And, uh, and a couple days later, like, wait a minute, where's Jesus at? Family's like, I don't know. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. And so the parents turn around. They go back up to Jerusalem. They're frustrated. It's hot. It's sweaty. They have other children in tow, right? And they find Jesus in in the temple teaching the scribes and the Pharisees. And this is the picking up there in this story. It says, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Look at this. This is just so profound if you think about it. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus entered into a very broken family. Just read Jesus' genealogy sometime, and you'll see all the screw-ups, all the failures, all, all the, the mishaps of his, of his family line, and Jesus entered into a broken family. That should be encouraging because Jesus was the child that you couldn't be. And that you're, the ways that you let your parents down, uh, Jesus kept them for you. Jesus succeeded where, where we fail. And, and God the Father is a better father than our earthly fathers. So, so the first way that Jesus redeems the family is Jesus enters into the human family. The second way is this, that Jesus bears the curse for broken families. Jesus bears the curse for broken families. Even though Jesus kept this commandment perfectly, and even though Jesus kept this commandment better than anybody else ever has, he still bore the curse for a broken family. We see this in the book of Mark chapter 15. We see this in Mark chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, 
there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even though Jesus kept this commandment perfectly, and even though he was the perfect son, even though he was the perfect son, he still bore the curse for the broken family. See, Jesus succeeded where you failed, and yet he took the penalty for your failures. Jesus succeeded where we have broken this commandment, and yet he's the one who bears the curse for the broken family. And so if you are here today and you are beating yourself up and you are feeling guilty because you didn't do this well, you didn't listen to your parents when you were younger, you didn't, keep, you didn't honor your parents, well, Christ took the curse for that. And if you are here today and you are beating yourself up and you feel just so guilty because you didn't do the job that parents should do, well, Jesus took the curse for that. That's the whole reason that we're we're here gathered is to celebrate what Jesus has done because he has made up for our failures and our mistakes. But the third way that Jesus redeems the family is he welcomes us into his own. He welcomes us into his own. See, One of the great truths that I love about the Bible is that all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, all those who receive this gift that Christ has purchased for us by his own blood, can be welcomed into his family and can call his father our father. This is what the book of Romans chapter 8 says. Romans chapter 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That you can be welcomed into God's family and call God your Father in the same way that Jesus did. That's a profound, amazing truth that God welcomes us into his family. And that family is called the church. If you are here today and you love Jesus Christ and you have put your faith in him and asked him to be your savior and asked him to be your Lord, then you are part of his family, part of his church. That's what it means to be a member of a church. It's not about volunteering in an organization, although that is a good thing to do. It's about being a child of God. That's why in 1 Timothy, it calls the church the household of God. That the household of God, the family of faith. And the role of elders here and teachers here, man, man, we're just like guardians. We're just tutors. We're just trying to help you understand what it means to be a child of God. We are underfathers of the Father. We're just trying to help you understand what it means to, to be a child of God. That, that's, that's what the church is. It's being the family of God. So God redeems the family because he sends his son to enter into the family and to be the perfect child. He, he sends his son to bear the curse for the broken family and bear the forsakenness that we deserve. And he sends, uh, through his son, he welcomes us into his family so that we can call him father. That's, what, that, that's where this commandment leads us to is to honoring our Father. So, 
I want to spend the rest of our time working this into the different situations in our lives. Because I don't know if you guys know, we have a, a relatively diverse congregation, and so there's a lot of us in different life stages. And so I'm trying to help us understand. So how do we actually put this to work in our different places in our lives, right? So um, let, let me just say this. Um, I, I, if, in case I wasn't clear enough earlier, this commandment to honor your father and your mother uh, takes place in the church, right? We can't keep this commandment without being in the church because it's in the church that we call God Father and it's the church that teaches us what it means to be the children of God. This is part of the reason why you you can't love Jesus and not love his Father and not call his brothers and sisters your brothers and sisters. So this commandment takes place in the church. Now, let me... Let, let me just spend some time talking about what this means for uh, different children and, and different parents. So um, for, for you parents out there, I think what this means, what this means is that we, first off, we set an example of godliness for the children. The, 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 the most important thing for what it means for you to keep this commandment is that you give your children an example to follow after you're gone. You, you, you pour yourself into following the Lord now to, to sacrificing for the Lord, to, to giving of your own finances, to uh, making a habit of coming to church. You, you, you give yourself into those things now and so that when your children see that, that that's an example that they want to follow. That, that's something that they want to do. They want to be like that. And then from that, when, when they see you giving yourself to this now, that, that they can start to um, uh, say, what would that look like in my life? And they can start to follow that. And as, as you are setting that example, that's when you start to work in imitating God in your family. And so you're... You try to imitate God so that they will imitate you as you imitate God. You do that through holiness, through setting boundaries, through setting rules. Children flourish when there are clear rules. You're not their buddy. You're not their pal. Hopefully you like each other, but you're their parent. (laughs) So set clear expectations, clear rules. But you also do this, you also do this by imitating God in his love, by being generous by lavishing affection on them by giving yourself to them by spending time with them by not being distant and withdrawn from them but by come and just and enjoying them so so as you are imitating God in his love and in his holiness your children will start to imitate you as you imitate God that that's how this works for parents I think, for you children out there, for you children out there, um, especially for you adult children, since all, most of our kids are back in junior church, um, here, here's how you can keep this commandment. The first thing that you do is you just recognize your parents aren't perfect. I mean, maybe, there, maybe there's a parent here who thinks he's perfect or she's perfect and you can come up here. But for everybody else, the parents here, we know that we're not. They know that they're not perfect right? And so trying to hold them to a standard of perfection that they're never going to live up to 
is setting them up for failure, and it's setting yourself up for needless resentment. They're not perfect. And so you recognize that, and you deal with that, you understand that, and then you move on, because it's not until you recognize that they're not perfect that you can thank them for the ways that they have parented you well. And so if you're a child here and your parents are still alive, I think it's worthwhile to tell your parents the things that they have done well and seek to honor them with the way that they live their life. Seek to honor them and, and, and lift them up so that other people love them. So I'm, my parents aren't perfect. My parents are not perfect. They would tell you that. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> my parents are, are definitely not perfect. And yet, um, I'm, I'm not going to spend time up here telling you all about their faults. But I can tell you some things that they've done well. I can tell you some things that they've done well. My parents, um, there are eight of us children. And my older two brothers, I don't know how they did that. My younger brothers and sister, I don't know how they did that. I must have been the easiest person on the planet to deal with. But um, my parents, eight of us different children, very different. My parents tried to parent each of us like we needed it. They didn't parent me like they parented my older brothers. They didn't parent my younger brothers like they parented me. They tried to uh, parent me like I needed to be parented. Sure, they didn't do that perfectly. They, they (laughs) They weren't absolutely perfect in that, and yet... And yet they, they recognize the need for, to treat each individual as themselves. That's something that I think my parents did well. And so you should think about the ways that your parents have parented you well. Because it's in that that you can kind of let go of some of the frustration you might have for the ways that they're not perfect. All right, so that's how I think you keep this if you are um, a, a child. Let me, let me talk to those of us who are grandparents in this room, right? Grandparents and parents of adult children. Um, The first thing that you need to do if you are a parent of an adult child is, uh, especially if you feel like you have not kept this well, especially if you feel like, I I just haven't raised the children up like I need to, uh, you just need to be honest with them about that. I've said that before. If, for some of us, if our children are ever going to come back to church, if our children are ever going to, um, to come back to the Lord, it just means that we're just going to have to have a moment of humility. It just means that we're going to have to say, listen, I, I, we're talking about this in church today. I know that I didn't do this well. I know that I didn't do this perfectly. Would you forgive me for that? Man, if your children hear that sentence come out of your mouth, that will rock them. If your children hear that, they'll be like, man, mom or dad, they never would have said that three or four years ago. They never, can I, I can't imagine my parents having done that three or four years. That's what, they'll, that's what they'll say, and that will be where you build trust with them. And you respect their own boundaries that they set with their own children. You, you respect their own boundaries, and you try to encourage them as parents. But it starts from a place of humility. Here's what I want to say to you who are grandparents. Man, you grandparents need to get in the game. Grandparents need to be an important part of their children's uh, faith. They do. Man, your grandchildren need you to sit down with them and read the Bible to them, to pick them up and take them to church. Your, Your grandparents need you 
to, to be a, a place of faith. Man, there are so many stories of uh, grandchildren whose parents uh, didn't really raise them in the church and yet who came to become believers in Christ because of the faith of their grandparents. There's so many examples of that. That's the, the story of my own grandfather. My grandfather was a, uh, 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 he's in the army in World War II, fighting in the Philippines, and uh, he was a uh, hedonist, I think that's a fair way to say, and uh, he was in the, the, the foxholes in World War II, and he always used to say there's no such thing as an atheist in the foxholes. And uh, he was in the foxholes, and uh, there's bullets going everywhere, and there's the, 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 all the sounds and the sights and the sensations of war. And he remembered way back to what his grandmother had taught him in Sunday school. And he remembered way back to what his grandmother had taught him when he was a child and had brought him to Sunday school. And right there in the foxhole of World War II, my grandfather put his faith in Christ. You will never know the effect that your faith has on the coming generations. You will never know the, the ways that your faith affects the coming generations. And so grandparents, your grandchildren, they need you to get in the game. They, they need you to, uh, to take the initiative with them. They, they need that from you, especially if your children are, are not giving that to them. Now, we also have a fair amount of people in this room who are not parents, and many not parents yet, and would like to be parents, but they're not parents yet. Um, this commandment is still for you. So this commandment is still for you. If you are not a, 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 a parent, um, two ways that this commandment can help you. Uh, number one, there are kids that need uh, believers from outside their family to pitch in. There are kids, and we need more people in our children's ministry. So maybe this is God put you here so you can hear this right now, right? So um, there are other children who just, they just need you to step into their lives, and they need you, they, they need you to be an influence. They need you to share the, the gospel with them, to, to think about what it means to share Christ with them. And they, they need you to set an example for them. So, so there are kids that need you, and you can start doing that now. You can be part of the support system for families now. But secondly, I would say this. You can start trying to be the kind of parent that you think your future kids will be now. So maybe you don't have kids now, but you can still throw yourself into serving Christ. You can still throw yourself into reading the Bible. You can still throw yourself into growing spiritually so that you're ready when the time comes. So maybe you don't have kids now and you'd like to have them. We'll start the job of being a good parent now. Start the job of throwing yourself into Christ now. Don't wait until the time comes because then you won't be ready. Now, preaching this sermon in particular out of all the Ten Commandments has given me a bit of trepidation. Because as I preach this, I just know that there are people who have come from broken families. And I know that there are people in this room who even the idea of calling God Father is a struggle and it's a wrestle. And to even do that, it just takes uh, so much work. And so if that is you, I just want to encourage you this morning. That maybe the, the reality is, is that this your, your parents and you, you just... 
There's this distance, and you don't know if that will ever be changed. And I just want to let you know that your church is here with you if that is you. That maybe you can't overcome that distance. And maybe you feel like there's this distance from you and your family, but you have a family of believers all around you right now here this morning. And if there's a family of believers, there's also a Father in heaven. See, all the ways that your earthly father might have let you down, your heavenly father doesn't. And all the ways that your, uh, your earthly father did well, your heavenly father did better. And so we have a Father in heaven who loves us and a household of faith and a family of faith that is for us. This is why I love what we, uh, I want to close with this verse from the Psalms. We read it a minute ago, but I'd like to read it again. Psalms 27 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. If you are here this morning and you, you feel the weight of this, and you just feel like you haven't, had that kind of relationship with your parents, you need to know that there is a father who will take you in and will never, ever abandon you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as children. Some of us, we've strayed to the right or to the left. And we thank you that you always take us in. And we thank you that you have redeemed us. Oh, Father, we thank you that you've welcomed us into your family. You've called us your own sons and daughters. God, we, we thank you that even though we haven't been perfect children, that you still welcome us in. And we thank you that though we haven't been perfect parents, you still welcome us in. God, we desire to be a church that helps raise children up to be ferocious disciples of Christ. To be a place and a body of believers where, where we pump children out who are going to go and change the world. God, we want to be that, that place. And that means that all of us have to throw ourselves into helping the next generation, to setting an example for the next generation, to loving the next generation well. God, would you give us the courage and the strength and the energy to do that so that this becomes a place where those who are fatherless find a father and those who have an earthly father know that their, their heavenly father is better. And when you help us be this place where we all know what it means to be sons and daughters of God. We, all pr we pray all these things in the name of your Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our older brother. Amen.